0: We have been studying through the book of Romans and what a journey and what a blessing it has been. We've studied a lot. As we came to chapter 12, we saw the Lord really uh, spoke to us on how our lives should, what our lives should look like as a believer, you know, as a Christian. What, what, what kind of things should be important to us and you know, that we should see our life as a living sacrifice and giving it to the Lord. And as we come into chapter 13, he's going to continue that same kind of uh, message, if you will. But the first seven verses, what we're going to be sp- focusing on this morning are going to be in dealing with how a Christian should relate to the government that he's under. Or how a Christian should relate to the, you know, to the government, to the, to the people in authority over you. And in the scriptures, we find three, and only three, divine institutions. There's three of them. The first one is marriage, which would lead to family. Marriage and family, that's in Genesis chapter 2. The second one we find in Acts chapter 2, which is the church as a divine institution. And the third one that we find is government. That comes about in Genesis chapter 9 after the flood. In Genesis chapter 9, God originated human government. That's where we first see it in the scripture. When Noah exited the ark, God gave basic principles to human beings by which they would rule themselves. Before the global flood, God saw enough anarchy, he saw enough chaos and enough unbridled evil in the world to be convinced that man needed some form of self-rule to avoid another judgment like we saw during the flood. Well, I didn't see it, but like we read about during the flood. So God instituted government, Genesis, or Genesis chapter 9. We see in the New Testament that Jesus affirmed the role of government. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, Jesus said this, and it's something you're probably all familiar with, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. Our lives belong to God, but we have a clear and a biblical obligation underneath the government that we which underneath the government which we live. Now let's look together at what Paul has to say about the government he's living under, and he's, as he's speaking to the Christians in Rome in about the year 55 to 60 AD. If you'll follow along with me, I'm gonna read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll come back together and talk about that. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For, there's no, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let's look closely at verse one where it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Every soul. That means everybody. That means that means every Christian, every soul should read this and go. I need to be subject. I need to. Yeah, but Rob, what does the word subject mean? Does it mean I have to like them? It means you have to be subject to them. That means to obey or to submit to the governing authorities. Well, what are the governing authorities? Well, since the Bible is relevant in every country and not just the United States of America, it's the government that has been established in that country for which that you are living. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, what about governing authorities that aren't very nice? What about the governing authorities that are cruel? What about the government authorities that are unfair? What about the governing authorities that are corrupt? Listen, God knows human government isn't perfect. He understands that. He understands it's not perfect, but apparently, even a flawed human government is better than no government at all, which would be anarchy. We need to see the big picture. We need to see the whole thing in context and not just get stuck here in the United States of America or over in, you know, in, in a dictatorship somewhere. We need to understand that both democracy and dictatorship is better than anarchy. That some governmental system is better than, than no governmental system. As a matter of fact, in Israel's past, in the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, it describes one of the darkest times in Israel's history. And you know what it says? It says this, in those days... There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's speaking certainly of spiritually and worshiping whoever they wanted to worship, but it's also speaking of no king. There was no ruler. It was anarchy. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There was was no set standard. There was no laws to follow. There was no rules. It was just do whatever you want. Oh, how that would bring chaos. Listen, the best form of government, it's not a democracy. It's a theocracy. It's a theocracy. It means where one true God will rule the world. Where God sits on the throne. The Bible predicts that that will happen one day. That Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem and he will be a theocracy ruling perfectly, ruling justly, ruling fairly. But until then, any form of government is better than no government at all. Please don't forget who's ruling Rome is Paul's writing this letter, if you're not aware, it's a man by the name of Caesar Nero. As Paul is penning this letter to the believers, it's made up of both Christians and Jews, both Gentiles and Jews that have come to faith in the Lord. The Jewish people during this time they were known as not being very good citizens of Rome. They were known as not. They were trying to. They were always trying to come against the government. They didn't like Caesar Nero, and rightfully so. He wasn't very nice to the believers. But they were always trying to come against him. And Paul is saying, no, come underneath of him. Come underneath of him and submit to him. Caesar Nero, he was a crazy man. He was absolutely insane. He set himself up as a god. He demanded people worship him. He killed his wife. He killed his very own son to get ahead. He burned Christians at the stake in his his garden. He threw Christians to the lions. Many believe he set set Rome on fire, blamed it on the Christians just so that he could rebuild it greater. He was a man who was insane. But Paul was being very clear that despite who was holding the office, the church was to respect and obey the governing authority. But why, Rob? Why do I have to respect and obey an authority that I didn't vote for? Why should I respect an authority when I don't agree with what they're doing? I don't like the policies. I don't like the things that they're doing. Let's look at the second part of verse 1. It says this. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Exercise your right to vote, always. Every time you have an opportunity to vote, do your research, study, study the word, vote the candidate that you believe. Protest peacefully if you need to. But remember, whoever wins was put there by God. You see, we have two very different leaders. President Trump is a lot different than President Obama was, and chances are you don't like both of them. Either you voted for one and not the other, because I don't think there's too many people that voted for both of them, or perhaps there is. But regardless, either way, God put that man in authority at that time for God's purpose. It's the way that it was done. Since government was set up by God, we must also that each leader is put in place by God, and that extends to every government around the world. Regardless of who you voted for in November, God has set Donald Trump as the president of the United States of America for at least the next four years unless something happens to him and he can no longer serve. God has allowed that to happen. God has put him there. But what about the leaders who are bad? What about the leaders who are sinful? What about the leaders who are hateful? What about the leaders who are brutal? What about the leaders that have just been horrible, done horrible crimes against the people? What about them? Did God set them up? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, God, yes, God knew that they were going to lead. He knew what they were going to do, and he allowed them. Please don't blame God for what man does. Please don't place the blame on God, but God did allow them. He allowed them to reach the position of authority, and we must remember, and I want to read this to you, the structure of government and the laws connected with it are appointed by God as a means of promoting law and order on the earth. The men in those offices are not necessarily godly men. Just because God allows somebody to rise to an office doesn't mean that that is a godly man. We can see, certainly cl- see that clearly. I believe there's been demonic influences had a great deal of in, demonic influence had a great deal of influence on men in positions of power. God has allowed that. And I believe uh, yet the Christian is the uh, is obligated to honor and obey the leaders under their jurisdiction that he lives with one exception. There's one time, there's one exception that goes where you don't have to any longer obey the government under which you're living. Do you know what it is? It's when the laws of the government stand in contradiction to the laws of God. That's the one exception and that's a biblical exception. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles are healing the lame and they're casting out demons As a result, the high priest, they're upset. They're mad because the people are being drawn to them. They're watching Peter and the apostles do these amazing things. So, you know what they do? They put him in prison. And at night in prison, the angel comes and he lets him out and he tells him, I want you to go back to the temple in the morning and I want you to keep preaching. I want you to preach and I want you to continue. Preach words of this life to the people in the temple. And the very next morning, they go back into the temple and they begin preaching. And again, they're put on trial. But the leaders are found out they don't know what to do with them. How can we shut these guys up? What can we say to make them stop? So they said to the apostles, didn't we, didn't we command you not to teach in Jesus' name? Didn't we tell you to, to shut up? Didn't we tell you no more are you to teach in Jesus' name? You stop it right now. You've filled all of Jerusalem with this teaching. Praise the Lord, by the way. And, that, and then the true reason says, you're trying to bring this man's blood on us. You're trying to blame us. You're trying to bring this man's blood on. You filled all of Jerusalem with this. You know what Peter said? Peter said this in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We ought to obey God rather than man. We have an obligation to obey God first, and then we place ourselves underneath of the government. You see, just because a man is in power doesn't mean that he's a godly man. I personally believe there's demonic influence working around the world to bring Satan. Satan believes he can still destroy the Lord. He's trying to bring as many people down as he can with him, and he will use government leaders to do that. Look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. The word resist the first time is different than the word resist the second time. When it refers to the resisting authority, it means this, to arrange in battle against, to oppose oneself, to resist, to set himself in array against. The first resist, it means, I'm doing battle against the government. I'm standing up against the government. I'm, I'm resisting in a, in a militarily sense. I'm, I'm resisting in a battle sense. The second resist... When it comes to resisting the ordinance of God, it means to withstand, to resist, or to oppose. And it's the perfect tense. It means to continually resist, to continually resist. So the one who sets himself in array against the aforementioned authority, against the ordinance of God, has set himself in a permanent position of resistance against God. Interesting, isn't it? When you set yourself in battle against the governing authorities, Paul says you're doing two things. You're doing two things, he says. You're continually standing against the ordinance of God. It means God is doing something there, regardless of whether it's He's allowing something. I have this term that I like to use. It's called Father Filtered, and it helps me understand how something, how, how a horrible leader can get in place. And here's what it means. It means everything that happens in the world, everything that happens in your life is father filtered, which means it has to be, it can't happen without the Lord knowing about it, without the Lord, you know, allowing. It doesn't mean that he's doing it. It doesn't mean he's causing it. It just means that he, he understands it's happening and it's not like he's surprised by it. The Lord wasn't surprised when Hitler ruled Germany. He knew it was going to take place. And many people would suggest that he even used that to give Israel a country, which prior to that, they didn't have a nation. They were, for 2,000 years, they were left without a nation. But yet it was, it was brutal. It was cruel. It was a horrible. He was a terrible leader. But God still used that and brought something good out of it. Because now the nation Israel has a country. So Paul's telling us here, when you do battle against the governing authorities, you're standing against the ordinance of God, even if you think it's stupid. Paul's saying you need to submit to your governing authorities. Sometimes Christians can get so focused on fighting the government, they lose track of their relationship with the Lord. Sometimes we can get so focused. Have you ever watched the news politically before you go to bed? I don't care whether you watch Fox News or CNN. By the way, neither one of them are Christian stations, so don't get me confused by that. But you watch the news. I used to watch the news before bed, and I couldn't sleep at night. It made it worse. I got aggravated. I got annoyed. I couldn't believe this was going on. Then I realized, you know what? It's not my problem. I don't have to worry about it. Certainly I'm going to vote. Certainly I'm going to understand the issue. Certainly I'm going to, if there's a peaceful protest that I want to participate in, certainly I have the right to do that as a believer. peacefully. But I'm not going to let it bring me down. But he also says, when you stand against the government, what you're doing is you're bringing judgment on yourself. When you decide to break the law, you're bringing judgment on yourself. When you decide that the laws don't apply to you, the law that was set up by the government, the government's going to punish you for it. You're bringing judgment on yourself. He goes on to say in verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Are you afraid of the government? Do you want to be unafraid? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. This is something we need to be reminded about. Every time we go down the interstate, and that little white and black sign says speed limit, right? Speed limit. If you are underneath the speed limit sign, you don't have to look for the police car, do you? But when you decide, ah, I can go a little bit faster, what do you start doing? I'm looking for the authorities. I don't I want I to get caught. If you want to be unafraid of the authority, do what's right? But also remember, there's something interesting there. The authority is God's minister. Look at verse 4. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. The authority is actually God's minister. That's what the scripture says. Just about a week ago, I was traveling with my kids to the Great Wolf Lodge up in the Pocono Mountains. Rebecca had gone away to the Pastor's Wives Conference, and I thought this would be a great time to take all the kids, go up to this indoor water park, and let them splash and fun, and it would be a wonderful time for us as a family. Being a former police officer, I know that you can usually get by at about five to seven miles an hour over the speed limit without getting pulled over. And I was taking full advantage of that theory. (laughs) As we drove along, I noticed something that all of a sudden the speed limit dropped from 70 miles an hour to 55 miles an hour. And I was still traveling at 75. And I looked around and I thought, well, there's no construction. There's not really any traffic on the road. There's, there's, There's nothing... It doesn't really make any sense. I'm kind of in my mind thinking, why would they do that? And then I came up the next hill. As I came up to the top of the hill, there he was. The authority, sitting in the median, looking right at me. (sighs) I was sure that he had me. As a matter of fact, I started to pull over at the same time he turned his lights on. I knew, I, I, I looked down at the thing, the speedometer, I was doing 70, he said 77, so I guess I was doing 77, in a 55 mile an hour zone. It doesn't so, sound so bad when it's 70, in a 77 in a 70, but all of a sudden the speed limit dropped. My first response was to complain. My first response was to think, why, why, is it, why, did the, why does the speed limit drop like this? Why does it, this doesn't make any sense. This is just stupid. There's nothing changes on the road. And then I realized something. All my kids are with me in the car. And there's a teaching moment here. There's something I got to teach them. So I told them that I was speeding and I was wrong. And if he chose to write me a ticket, then that's just the way that things were going to go. As he came up to the window... I admitted my fault to him, which he knew because I pulled over before he turned his lights on. And he asked me, like they always do, for my license, my registration, and my insurance card. I might have mentioned that I used to be a police officer. (laughs) He said, thank you, and walked back to his car. (laughs) After what seemed like forever... You know what, it's, it's always different when you're on the other side of that, you know? He returned to my vehicle, and he had my documents, and he handed me my license, my registration, my insurance back, along with my written warning, which I thanked him again for. And he reminded me that I had my children in my car, and I had to be careful. In my mind, I'm still thinking, it should have been 70 miles an hour. <laughs> but that's just our human nature, I said thank you and off we parted ways. You see, if we choose to obey the laws that are set up for us, we don't have to worry about the authorities. But if we choose to disobey the laws, then the authorities, the risk you're taking is, well, speeding tickets and violations and arrests or whatever goes along with that. But here in this verse, Paul's talking about a lot more than a traffic infraction. Look at the end of verse 4. It says this, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. The sword. The sword. Why does he say the sword there? The sword is a reference to capital punishment. That's what he's referring to. In the Roman Empire, criminals were typically executed by beheading with a sword. The sword. That's what he's talking about, the sword, the the execution. Crucifixion, which Jesus endured, was reserved for the worst of criminals, the lowest classes. Roman citizens would never be crucified. Typically, they were decapitated with the sword. Paul, here, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has no doubt that the state has a legitimate authority to issue capital punishment to execute criminals here. You might not agree with the death penalty, and that's perfectly up to you. But what you can't say is the Bible doesn't support it, because the Bible does support it. And the Bible supports the governments, and the governments in our country have the right to choose which the states can choose which are going to have the death penalty and which aren't. In executing judgment against those who practiced evil, the leaders become God's minister. Think about that. The police officer that pulled me over was actually God's minister to correct my bad behavior. Was I wrong? Absolutely I was wrong. I could make all the excuses in the world. I even saw the speed limit drop, and I didn't step on the brake. I just kept cruise control going, thinking, I wonder how silly. Maybe the next time I get pulled over, I'll tell him that he's a minister of God, according to Romans chapter 13. Look at verse 5. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Our motivation for observing the laws of our government shouldn't be just to avoid punishment. We should respect the God-given authority the law represents. The truth is, if we can't submit to the authorities that we can see, chances are we're not submitting to the authority of the Lord and to the authority of his word. If we're rebelling against all the authorities that we can see that are put over top of us, and they might be wrong at times. I'm not, I'm not saying the authorities are perfect, but what I am saying is they're put there by God. And if you can't submit to those, if, for children, if you can't submit to your parents, if you can't submit to the authorities that God has placed over you, why on earth do you think you're submitting to the Lord? Chances are you've probably set up God to be somebody who you want him to be. You've set him up to be the authority that you want to be that will do exactly what you want him to do, how you'll do it, and you just want a rubber stamp from God on your life. That's not how we do it as believers. We're the servant. He's the master. We're the submissive one. He's the authority in our life. And when we get out of line like I did on driving, he brings us back in line. Rather than get mad for being pulled over, rather than saying, well, doesn't he have anything better to do? Shouldn't he be eating donuts at Dunkin' Donuts or yeah. shouldn't he, whatever the jokes are? Rather than doing that, why not submit to the authority and realize, you know what? I'm the one that's wrong here. I'm the problem. I make more problems in my own life than the government will ever make. And you do the exact same thing. Regardless of what government you live under. It's not to say that Christians aren't being persecuted around the world because they are. and not... When do we stand in opposition to the government? When it comes against what God's law says. When the government of the United States says I can no longer teach God's word chapter by chapter and verse by verse, I will stand here and teach the word the same way I always have been. I won't change. If if that brings in prison or whatever, that's okay. I'll start a prison ministry then. They can't shut me up. I'm going to keep teaching the Bible. That's what I do. That's what God's called me to do. Until, until the laws of the United States change to come into opposition to the Bible, I'm going to, sta- I'm going to submit myself to the laws of the land. But when they stand in opposition to the Bible, I'm going to submit my law to myself to the laws of God. I'm going to let him worry about the consequences. I'm going to let him worry about those details. Notice what he says there in verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. More bad news. The IRS is God's ministers. That's not what I came here to hear this morning, Rob. We just had tax season. Look, I don't like paying taxes. I moved from Florida, where there are no state income taxes, by the way, to Maryland, where you guys have state income taxes. I'm not so happy about that. But I pay them. But I pay them. I don't want to live in a gray area. I don't want to lie and cheat on my taxes. I don't want to do that because I realize I need to submit to the authority that that God has placed over me. But at the same time, we need to be good stewards of what God has given us. And that means taking, taking advantage of every tax deduction that you can legally. We don't lie as Christians on our taxes. But if you can write something off and save a little bit of money legally, make sure you're doing that. Because that's, a, that's being a good steward of what God has given you. Don't lie. Don't dance in the gray areas. Don't go, I hope I don't get audited. Sleep at night. But also don't be so lazy that you miss the deductions that God would have for you. Part of being a good steward is not giving more than you need to, but give everything that you're supposed to. Verse 7, therefore, render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. The word taxes refers to an annual tax, like an income tax, like a real estate tax, something that we would pay here. The word customs, that refers to a tax on goods that are bought. like, a, like it, would be, it would be our sales tax. When you, when, you, when you buy a used car, what do you write down for the price? Well, let's just say I bought it for $100. bucks. do not do that as a believer. God says, no, you be honest. You write down the price you paid and you pay the taxes because your God has all the money that he can provide for you. And he will provide for the honest person. Don't lie. Don't cheat the government out of things. Don't do it. I don't care if everybody else do it. I don't care. I've, I've run into that situation where I bought things used and the seller will say to me, what do you want me to write for the price? Exactly what I'm paying for it. Well, then you're going to pay more taxes. That's okay. I want to be able to sleep at night. I want to know that I'm, I'm, I'm submitting myself to the government, not because of the government is so great, because I'm submitting myself to the Lord and he tells me to do so. It works the exact same way. But what if the government spends your tax money foolishly what if you don't like the way they're spending your tax money what if you don't think they're doing a very good job that's their problem you just simply mail in your 1040 form with your check at the end of the year or or get your refund back whatever it is you send it to them and let let God deal with them let God deal with the politicians in Washington and Annapolis on on how they're dealing with our tax money that's that's not our problem I ran into that same very same thing one time I was going to a church and I was giving to the church, and I realized I didn't like something the church was doing. And I went back and forth, should I still give to that church? I, was, I liked the church. They it wasn't anything unbiblical, but they had taken a turn in a direction I, I didn't really care for. And I went back and forth, Lord, I don't want to give them my money. The Lord put on my heart, he said, you're not giving the church your money, you're giving me the money. Let me deal with what they're doing with it. Let me deal how with them. Let me handle that part of it. You just be, you just be... Uh, confident in giving your money to me and let me handle them. So the government is ordained by God and funded by us. It's kind of the way it goes. Because God is in control, I don't have to worry about politics. I don't have to worry about the future of our country. I don't have to worry about what's going on in North Korea or in China or in Iran. I don't have to worry about all those things. I don't have to get myself all worked up over uh, policies that the president's making or policies that the president's not making. I know that God's in control. But don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that as Christians we should just do nothing and let the government do whatever they want. I'm saying as Christians we should exercise our right to vote. That's That's a right that we have in this country. It's been given to us by our government and we should use it. We should come underneath the authority of the government. Every American should recognize and honor the men and the women who fought for this country and for the rights that we have underneath of our government. We should be thankful for our military and those men and women that are serving and for their families that put up with them being away a long time and being overseas. Every American has the right to protest peacefully, and we should exercise that right if there's something you feel strongly about, peacefully without violence or destruction. But I'm going to warn you, be very careful with the groups you hitch your wagon to. Be very, very careful who you decide to go protest with because you might not think that you like everything that they're standing for and you stand for one part, but you're immediately going to be lumped in with that whole group. Be very careful who you hitch your wagon to to do those things. I'm aware that President Trump this week signed an executive order that relaxes the restrictions on churches and pastors. We can now give political opinions from the pulpit and not jeopardize our 501c3 nonprofit status That's something that he's done. I'll continue to teach the Bible just the way that I do. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you want my political opinion, you can see me privately for it, and I'll be glad to talk to you about it. But from here, I get 45 minutes to teach the Bible with you guys on Sunday and on Thursday, and I'm not going to waste it on politics. It's going to be the scriptures, and it'll always be the scriptures, and that'll never change. If you want my opinion, I'll be glad to give it to you privately, me and you one-on-one, and we can sit and talk and debate or whatever. But when it comes to church, when it comes to gathering in the body of Christ, this place, this building will always be about him and not me. It'll be about the Lord Jesus Christ and not the next president or the next governor or the next any other political position. I think it's good that churches have the freedom to do that. But even if we do, which we seem to have for a season because that can be taken away again, I'm not going to waste your time with my political opinions, which really mean nothing. But what I will do, and I promise this to you, I will continue to teach you the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and I will continue to show you how to apply it to your life in practical ways, the best that I know how. I trust that whoever gets elected was put in there under the sovereignty of God. God put them in, and God can take him out. And God will put the next one in. He's been doing it throughout history. And he will continue to do the very same thing. Our God is an awesome God. He's capable of running our country. He's capable of running the world. Believe it or not, he's capable of running your life. (laughs) The question is, will you let him? Will you let him? He's got all this. He's got the whole world in his hands, doesn't he? And yet we worry so much about things we can't control. Let's pray. Father, may we put our faith in you. Or may we not minimize you to a God that we can understand or a God that we can define or a God that has the same problems that we do. Instead, may we take your character as we learn about it in scripture. May we exalt you, Father. May we lift you on high. May we realize there's coming a day where you will rule this world as a theocracy. Where Jesus Christ will physically take the throne In Israel, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Father, we thank you for that hope. Because if we did have to hope in our politicians, man, we'd be stuck. If we had to hope in our world leaders, if we had to hope in those people, if we had to hope in mankind, we would always find men falling short. But not you, Lord. Lord, we exalt you. We lift your name on high. We know that you're in control. And Father, would you help us to submit to the authorities that you've put over us? Would you correct us when we get out of line? Would you just bring us back and help us to focus on the things that are important? The love that matters so much, which is what you're going to instruct us on next week. So Father, until next week, may we be faithful to you. May you protect us from the enemy. May we continue with a song in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.